Blog Talk Radio. with Destiny for Monday, February the 6th, 2023. I'm your host and author of the book, Destiny Awaits, The Pouring Out of Wisdom for Humanity to Drink, Lisa M. Saunders, coming to you from Owings Mills, Maryland. This broadcast is being sponsored by Masterminds LLC, inspiring and empowering people to achieve a greater destiny. We are super excited this evening on this first week of Black History Month, being with you and to be able to share love and wisdom with the desire to uplift, inspire, motivate, and empower you to live a more peace-filled, joyful, and loving life. You can receive and download this podcast via iTunes or anywhere you receive your podcast. You can also receive it via my website, yourdestinyawaits.net. If you would like to become a sponsor or to get more exposure for your literary work or business, you can send a message via my website, info at yourdestinyawaits.net or via my Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash a date with destiny 101. Once again, we are excited to be able to share with our listeners information from people of all walks of life that we believe will inspire, motivate, and empower you. We are happy to share that this April, we will be celebrating 11 years of broadcasting. 11 years. Let me let me just give us a little bit of applause for that because that still blows my mind. Wow. We always look forward we always look forward to and can't wait to share some great things from some really extraordinary people that we have coming up for the rest of this season. And tonight, we have another amazing show. This evening, to help us kick off Black History Month, we welcome for the first time Miss Jennifer Jones, the first Black Radio City Music Hall Rockette. And I want to put a tag on this show. Um, I usually put a tag on all of my shows, but tonight I want to verbalize the tag. And the tag for this show is, it started with a dream. It started with a dream. Jennifer Jones, born in Newark, New Jersey, is an award-winning performer recognized worldwide for her groundbreaking accomplishments and equal rights advocacy in the arts. She's part of an exclusive, legendary group of inspirational trailblazers who've transcended racial barriers, a unique honor that comes along once every generation. In 1987, Jennifer became the first African-American Radio City Music Hall Rockette, making her the first Black female performer since the New York City's Troop Establishment in 1932 to be honored with this distinction. Her Radio City Music Hall Rockette national debut was in 1988 during the 20th Super Bowl halftime show. Jennifer's revolutionary milestone established a long-standing Radio City Music Hall policy against hiring African Americans for its Rockettes chorus line so as not to distract from its hallmark of perfectly synchronized precision and rigid color uniformity. 
By transcending the racial barrier, Jones ushered in a transformative modern era, era for the Radio City Music Hall's Rockettes, among others. In 1989, she was crowned Miss Morris County Pageant Queen in her native state of New Jersey as its first African-American champion. Jennifer performed in the ensemble of the 2001 Broadway revival of 42nd Street, the musical, which won the Tony Award for Best Revival of a Musical. As a Tony Award-winning performer, Jennifer's courageous, defiant legacy has continued to inspire noble causes, and in 2016, she was honored by the Harlem School of the Arts with a world premiere tribute written and directed by Aubrey Lynch II. The Harlem City Music Hall Dance Spectacular was an emblematic parable of how Jones overcame adversity through pure determination, bravery, hard work, and talent. Jennifer is currently writing a memoir in an ongoing commitment to share her milestones with a broad global community. As one of this era's most inspirational figures, she also, she's also written a children's book, On the Line, the First African-American Rockette, that will be released in the fall of this year, 2023. She's paired a dancing gen doll to coincide with the release to continue to inspire and encourage children to go after their dreams. Her memoir, Becoming Spectacular, will be released in 2024. Both will be published by HarperCollins. Jennifer was acknowledged for her revolutionary feat in February of 2021 by both Madison Square Garden as well as her home, Radio City Music Hall. Jennifer was diagnosed with stage 3 collateral cancer in 2018. As a cancer survivor, she's a staunch advocate for screenings and early detection, especially within the African-American community. So, ladies and gentlemen... A date with destiny would like to welcome to the show Miss Jennifer Jones. Hello, Miss Jennifer. Yay! Hello. <laughs> yes, and you deserve all of that applause. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oh, it's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me on your show. Oh, well, we are so honored that you uh that you could be with us and to take this moment to spend time with us and sharing some magnificent, well, magnificent and significant moments in your life's journey. And I just want to say that your bio, because usually, you know, I like to chop it up here, chop it up there, but I was like, I kept reading it over and over again. I said, no, -uh, mm -mm. we're going to read all of this because wow, just wow. Like when you hear it, <laughs> does it like yes. does it sound like remotely like you or is it like wow I did all that it sounds like wow I did all that um I've never heard it read out loud like okay. that you know and just listening to that um I can I can't even like rack my head around um everything that I've I've accomplished yeah yeah, and it usually works out that way because we're so just into living day by day and we just we're in survival mode. And so we don't even take the time to like wow, just sit back and just think or just recognize our own accomplishments and give ourselves a pat on the back. So I hope that every now and then you take the time <laughs> to pat yourself on the back for everything that you've done so far. So 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 one of the one of the things that I do um, that I've learned to do with um, since my accomplishments, my successes, no matter how small or how big, I always celebrate them. Yes. With any losses that I have, I always try to go back and learn from those lessons. Yes. So uh, that was a learning process and something that I did have to learn um, for yeah. myself. But I think it's important for everyone to celebrate your successes, no matter how big or how small. Yes. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And so, okay, so we have a lot to get through um, in this one interview, and I'm hoping that you will come back and and share and continue to share with us because I'm going to be following everything that you do. I'm going to get your book. I'm going to get the doll for my. I'm going to have a uh, becoming a new grandparent. So I just definitely oh. want to, you know, just get your books and all of that stuff. So thank you. What I want, thank you. Yeah, so what I want to do is I want to take you back take everyone back to the beginning of your story um, because everybody may not know of your story, but when I mm-hmm. uh, started to look at your story and really, you know, get into the things that you've done with your life, I was just so entranced and I'm like, Oh my God, this woman is amazing. I've got to have her on my show. Um, and I just <laughs> want to make sure we walk through some of the, to me, some of the very significant steps, that got you to where you are today and the beginning of you mm-hmm. becoming the first black woman mm-hmm. to break some barriers, okay, because you are standing okay. on. And somebody asked me, because I asked the question, um, sometimes I ask people randomly, do you have anything that you would like for me to ask um, my guest? And um, one person said to me um, they wanted to know if you ever, like, just sit back and reflect on the shoulders that you stand on of the other women like Lena Horn or um, uh, some of the other women that have been first um, in the in whether it's the arts or anything. Like, have you, has that ever hit you, you know, at any time? Absolutely. I, I stand on so many shoulders. Um, for um, people, men and women, who have made groundbreaking, um, trailblazing Mm. accomplishments in the arts. For me, what really hit home for me is my parents were very big Broadway people. Mm -hmm. And um, they took me to see The Wiz five times. The Wiz Mm -hmm. with, with Stephanie Mills, Jeffrey Holden, Mabel King, Felicia Rashad, Um, and every time after the show, I would stand at the backstage door and we would wait for autographs. And I knew Mm -hmm. one day I wanted to walk out of that backstage door. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how I was going to get there, what I needed to do to walk out of a, off of, off of a stage, but I knew that was what I wanted. So for me, that experience gave me the willpower and mm-hmm. I stand on their shoulders, the, the Broadway world shoulders, the first yes. black all cast to be on Broadway. That gave me my dream. So yes. yes, I do, I do reflect and I do stand on, on, you know, you know, above, um, below many on their shoulders, but um, the Wiz was an incredible um, life-changing experience for me. Yeah, because I saw that, um, I've read that part um, of your story, which, again, is fascinating to me because people don't realize that when we are children, we do dream and we do have big aspirations. And some children let them go, but it sticks with some Mm -hmm. of us. And sometimes we don't remember that until we're in something and it's like, wait a minute, I, you know, this is familiar to me. I remembered like, this is what I really wanted to do. And I read Mm -hmm. your story and you started dancing at the age of seven. Um, Mm -hmm. And so when your parents took you and I believe it was your sister to see the whiz. And I think it's so important that people really hear this part. Like you stood at the at the backstage door and to get you know waiting to sign you know get some auto you know to to get autographs or you know people to sign your little whatever and yeah you had that at that moment that that desire like you wanted it so bad like this is what I want to do yeah and that stuck I, with if, you mm-hmm. yes no, and I had and my parents I was lucky enough to have parents that realized that that little spark in me and they were able to let it continue on. Um, So I think it's also on parents to realize what, what is that spark Spark, in their child that they can help um, grow? What is their dream? And and I think that was part of what I had. Yes. 
Yes, cultivate it. They have to help to cultivate it. So, okay, so let's move forward a little bit. Um, Let's talk about this audition that you went to for the Super Bowl for the chance. So just, you know, take us through the that whole process, like from the beginning to the end. Um, so I was now let me, very let me cut you green. off one second. I'm sorry. Let me let me cut you off real yes, quick. Was that's that okay. 1997? The audition was 1997. No, I mean the audition 1987. Was 80- Yes, the audition was in um, early part of 1987. Okay, okay. Okay, so I was very green in the business. I was still making friends, learning the art of auditioning, um, very nervous at auditions. And there's a publication that comes out every week um, called Backstage, and it has a list of auditions that, that, the, that producers are having that week. And mm-hmm. the Rockettes were in there, and they were, they were hiring for two shows, Super Bowl 1988 and a Cheetah Rivera tour. Mm-hmm. And I went by, I didn't even give it two thoughts. I blew by it. I was looking for my, for my Broadway starring, <laughs> my Broadway mm-hmm. starring show. And um, I was sitting around at Broadway Dance Center with a couple of fellow dancers, and they said, Jennifer, you should audition for the Rockettes. You would make a great Rockette. I didn't even really know who the Rockettes were or what they did or anything about them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was still very nervous at audition. So I woke up that morning and I said, I'm going to go to this audition. So there were, by the time I got there, the audition started at 10. I got there at 930. There were hundreds of the most beautiful, long-legged ladies wrapped around the music hall. Mm. And my favorite, my favorite jazz class was starting at 11 o'clock with Frank Hatchett. But I mm-hmm. got to the end of the line, and um, I was like, oh, God, I don't know. Frank is having his class. I'm going to miss his class. And I, then I started to go, and then I came back. And I did that a couple times, and I, I was getting ready to leave the line, and something in me said, stay. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to stay. I stayed and I went through the line and they brought us into a small rehearsal hall in a group of maybe 40, 40 women. And we all got to warm up and the, um, the production manager said, give me your picture and resume, your card that I gave you to fill out and put on your, ta- and have your tap shoes ready. I didn't have a picture and resume. I filled out the comp card and I didn't have my tap shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, we, so he took us into the large rehearsal hall and there were about 15 to 20 people that were giving us the audition and we had to walk along the back because the first thing we had to do was get measured for height. And as I'm walking, I could just feel like people staring at me. And you know, when you just get that flush of redness and heat mm-hmm. coming over your body, I got this flush feeling. Mm-hmm. But I just equated it to my nerves, and that right. was what I was there for to get over my nervousness at audition. Mm-hmm. I did the height requirement, and then we had to learn our dance routine. Violet Holmes was the choreographer at the time, and I was used to doing dance steps in a five, six, seven, eight, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. She counted the diddly dee, the diddly da, the diddly diddly da. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so I'm so I'm bedoodling and I'm bedoodling, and um, <laughs> at the end of the audition, I went to the back to get my bag, and the um, stage manager comes up to me and he says, Jennifer, we're going to give you a call back. Bring your picture and resume, and bring your tap shoes. A few days later, I went back with my picture and resume and tap shoes. And at that time, there weren't any computers. And I was living in New York at the time. So I had to go back to New Jersey, print out at Kinko's a resume, find an old (laughs) high school modeling picture. And I went back to the audition and um, I I did my callback. And it wasn't until a few months later when Violet Holmes called me and offered me the Super Bowl halftime show. So that was the initial audition experience, but I think the real turn of events came when it's how I learned about it. Mm-hmm. I yeah. um, 
I was watching, um, I said yes to the audition to Violet. I was watching the 11 o'clock news um, a couple nights later. And Sue Simmons, who was a Channel 4 newscaster, came on and she said, Radio City just hired their first African-American Rockette. And I went, huh, I wonder who that is. My mother called me. She's, she's like, Jennifer, is that you? And I said, I have no idea. Nobody said anything to me. Mm-hmm. And it was after that is when Radio City said, you know, I was the first African-American Rockette. And wow. then they put me into media training. Um, wow. To, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And that was how I, I learned. Yeah. It. Wow. You know, so there's so much to um, unpack here. Like, you just, you know, because a lot of times we will talk ourselves out of stuff. And, but you, your, you, your intuition was strong enough. You mm-hmm. listened to it. And, and, and during our phone conversation, we kind of, you know, we talked about this. And this is the thing that really drew my attention on how you, first of all, you just kind of just, you know, blase, let me, let me go and try this. You know, I'm going to try this out, right? right. Knowing that mm-hmm. there was something else that you really, really wanted to do. But she was like, no, you know, there was this, let, me, let me go over here and try. And the negative self-talk that we are all very familiar with, like we will talk ourselves out of something that could potentially be life-changing because we allow our fear to set in. And fear will, you will freeze you right in your tracks. It will just freeze you. But there was that still small voice that you decided to listen to instead that said stay. And and look what happened. Like, just can you even imagine? Do you ever sit, sit back and think, like, Dag, what if I had really left? <laughs> what if yes, I had I not do. stayed? Yeah. <laughs> yes. What if I had uh, went back to my comfort zone, to what was yes. comfortable? Yes. What if, you know, that would have never have happened. When you... Yeah. When you get that uncomfortable feeling, that's mm-hmm. when you know you're in the right place. Yeah. That's yeah. when you know that's... you're supposed to go and do what you're uncomfortable doing. Uncomfortable doing. That is absolutely correct because when you listen to, when you start to listen to that negative self-talk, like, you know, oh, they're never going to pick me. What am mm-hmm. I doing here? I can't do this, blah, blah, blah. Look at all these other words. They're so beautiful. Ah, da, 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 da. And, and, and not only that, you went in unprepared. You didn't have a resume. You didn't have any tap shoes, and you didn't have a picture. (laughs) But guess what? Right. It was like, okay, you know what? You still went in there, and you gave it your best shot. And they were like, you know what? That's okay. Just bring this, this, this back. And you went, and you did it. Yes. So to me, that's how it happens, people. We have got to start really. and And on my show, I talk about this all the time, how we must get still and trust that still small voice. We have to trust Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And there's never really a perfect moment. You can't yeah. wait for this and you can't wait for that. And you can't yeah. wait, okay, now I have everything. Now I can do it. That It doesn't work yeah. that way. I, I no. did not have everything in, in, you know, with me. I didn't have my tap shoes, my picture and resume, but I went anyway. I did not have the, per- yep. the perfect picture that yeah. may, like maybe some of the other auditioners had. Right. So, you know, you just have to go. Go with yeah. your gut feeling. Go where it feels uncomfortable. Go with your yes. dream and believe in yes. it. And believe in it. And believe in yourself. And believe, believe in, yourself. in yourself. Yeah. So, wow. And so I believe that was that I read it was out of 221 dancers and only 23 were chosen. And one of those 23 were you. Yes. yes. Wow. Yes. Yes. So that's that was correct. meant for you. I mean, it was just absolutely meant for you. <laughs> like this was the beginning of your life story. It was the absolute beginning of of everything for me. Um, I, I, you know, was with the Rockettes for 15 years. It allowed me to live my dream of dancing on a stage and walking out of a backstage door um, and ushering in other women who, who dream of becoming Rockettes. 
So it has not only fulfilled me, it's fulfilled other women's dreams also. Yes. Yes. You've like opened those doors. Like, wow. And you know, so, so here's, here's another uh, point too. Once you move out of your comfort zone, that's not, oh, it's not over because you will still have, Mm negativity coming at you because now it's like, okay, I've made it through over the threshold. Now what? And all of a sudden you're going to have things that try to block you from moving forward. And so for you, Mm -hmm. it was the PR lady. And let's, let's talk about that part. What did she tell you? Like when you went in and you're here now, you're getting ready to start this whole new life and here comes all of this negative stuff. Yes. So um, the Super Bowl that year was in San Diego, and mm-hmm. we flew out to San Diego, and on the plane ride over, her assistant came up to me on the plane and said, Jennifer, as soon as you get off the plane, I'll say her name is Caroline, wants to come, she wants to talk to you right away, right away, as soon as you get off the plane. So I get off the plane, you know, I'm going to the room trying to get settled, And apparently I didn't get up to her room fast enough because when I came back, her assistant was pacing back down in the lobby. I went up to her room. She's pacing back and and forth, smoking her cigarette. And she said, you're old news. Nobody cares about you. Nobody cares about this story. It's done. So, and I took all of that to heart. I thought, Mm -hmm. oh, no, nobody cares. Nobody cares about, mm. you know, the groundbreaking barrier or, or me or the Rockettes. Like, I just thought, you know, nobody cared. And that, those words I carried with me through my career, mm. my relationships, and, mm. uh, you know, a major part of my life. It took a long time for me to peel away those layers that weren't even mine. They yeah. weren't even my, you know, fears, yeah. um, they were hers. I took on her, her discomfort. Yeah. And I dimmed my light. And, mm. I, and I chose not to shine for a very long time. Mm, mm, and mm. I, I would like people to know, like, when you get accomplishments, it will make mm-hmm. other people feel uncomfortable. And that's mm-hmm. not, that's not your problem. You, yeah. you, everybody has a moment to shine. Everybody yes. has a different gift to give the world. Even yes. though it looks like everybody is doing the same thing, everybody is yeah. on separate journeys. Ooh. Everybody has a different contribution to themselves, mm-hmm. to their community, and to the world. There's no competition. Yeah. There's room for everybody. Yes. There's room for everybody. Yeah. Girl, you just gave me goosebumps. Woo! And that's so true <laughs> because it's, you know, you will, we will always have haters. We mm-hmm. just will. Um, but you cannot yeah. allow that to stop you from what God has put inside of you. Um, whatever your gifts, and, and, you know, I don't know if you're, you know, you're biblical or whatever, but, you know, it says that your gifts will make a way for you, and they mm-hmm. really do. But you have to believe in them as well. You have to believe yeah. in yourself. And and I'm so sorry that that happened to you, but at the same time, it made you stronger. Yeah, um, it, it, mm-hmm. it did make me stronger. Um, it made, it, eventually, I had to, like, really look at, like, why do I keep going back to this conversation with this yeah. woman? And I really had to do its work. I really had to do the work to peel that yeah. away. yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because, like, um, people who are gifted and talented, I think a lot of us go through that. We are afraid to shine because, well, you know, they're not going to like me or I'm going to seem conceited or I'm going to seem like I'm a know-it-all and this, that, and the other. But that is so far from the truth, you know. Um, right. and, and, and I think with right. wisdom, as we get older, you know, we get wiser, hopefully, Um, With age comes wisdom. But the thing that I love about your story and I love about where you are and, you know, even where I am at this point in my life, we can give back. We know what we know and Mm. we can't go back to the age because we can't take that back. But 
we can now teach others, teach other young women. We can, you know, pour into them what we've learned so that they don't come back, you know, come forward in their journey and make the same mistakes. I tell my daughter all the time, my daughter is uh, 32, and I've always Mm -hmm. poured into her, um, into her life so that, you know, the lessons that I had not learned at, you know, at a young age, I just wanted her to get it. And I kept telling her when she was maybe 17, 18, 21, you know, throughout, I said, baby girl, if you get this right here at where you are, at the age that you are, by the time you get to be my age, you are going to be even more fabulous and amazing than you are right now. Yes. Yes, I've always tried to instill, like, those strong morals and values and the lessons that I've learned with, yes. into my children as well. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes you just have to go through those lessons. But if you have, like, a mentor or someone yeah. who can guide you, it does make it so much, much. easier, especially yeah. much easier because everything that you go through, you feel. Like, you, when you live in an experience, and you're mm-hmm. going through it, sometimes it's hard to see outside, outside of yeah. that little bubble that you're in. So sometimes it's really nice to have that mentor and that guidance. Absolutely. And I think that's why we our lives are very tumultuous in the beginning, and that's why we have to press forward because I just believe the universe knows who's, who's strong enough to make it through. And I think we go, we can't help others through something that we have not ourselves experienced. That's what I've learned. And so sometimes I used to, when I was younger, I'm like, why am I going through this? Why is it? And it's like, as you get older, it's like, okay, then, then the universe would throw this person in front of me or this person in my path and that person. And it's like, oh, okay, now I see why I had to suffer because... It's meant for me to reach back and to pull other people through. And when I read your story and I look at what you've done, I'm like, you you are like a prime example of that. And to be the first to do what you did, because what was it in the 30s? Let me look at my notes. The 30s when um, they first started the Rockettes, was it the 30s up until the 87? It was um, the Rockets were founded in 1925 in St. Louis, Missouri. Okay. Right, and then in 1932, they, it, Radio City became the home of the Rockets. So they've been mm-hmm. an, an establishment since the 1920s. Mm. Um, and it's and I think a lot of people think that when you're the first, like you're going to get like this smoke you know, coming up and you're going to walk through the smoke and your theme song is going to play, but you know, you know, but there is so much more that comes behind the scenes that people don't see. Um, There, I, I got a lot of love. I got a a lot of, um, you know, people that were like so happy to see the, the line finally diversify, but there were also people who wrote me letters and they said they would never come see the Christmas show again. Mm. Um, so there was, there was a lot of back and forth for me that I was going through and I didn't, I didn't have anybody on the line that I could really turn to right, right. with what I was struggling with. So that was a whole learning experience with myself on how I had to pull myself out of, yeah. um, you know, learning how to do what I love and not really care about if I'm ruining someone's Christmas from Kansas. Right. Who's right. never going to so see this show again. That? Yeah. How did you persevere? What was the, what was the thing that you turned to time and time again that got you through? The thing that I turned to time and time again was I remember I wanted to dance on a stage and I wanted to walk out of the backstage mm. door. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted. That's what I wanted. I wanted to dance. Yeah. And, you know, they didn't have to come see the show if they didn't want to. But I knew it. I just knew it was in my DNA for me. Yeah. You knew what you knew what you knew. <laughs> wow. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and you stuck with that. So, um, 
you also are a cancer survivor. Let's let's switch gears just a little bit. Um, and you were diagnosed with stage three cholesterol. Am I saying that right? Cancer in twenty eighteen. Yes. Colorectal. Thank you. In twenty eighteen. Yes. So let's talk about that. So being a dancer, my entire life. Um, I used to own an aerobic studio for three years. I I've vegetarian. I've been vegetarian since my the age of 23 and active every day. Um, I was in shock when I got my diagnosis. I had just turned 50 and I felt a little, a little gassy, a little bloated. I thought that maybe I had a gluten allergy or, um, you know, oh, this is what, this is what happens when you turn 50, you know, type right. of thing. Yeah. Um, so I was scheduled to go for my colonoscopy at the right age of 50. Mm -hmm. And, um, I went to the doctor and I kind of said, well, you know, she's like, oh, you're healthy. We'll just schedule you whenever. And I said, well, you know, I'm kind of concerned. Do you think that we can just move it up? She's like, well, my, my schedule will take care of it, but I don't think you're going to need it. And it was like two weeks later, I went for my colonoscopy and I came out of the anesthesia. I'm sitting in a little like high school type desk and the nurse is there giving me orange juice. The doctor comes in and she said, "Um, Jennifer, I have some very disappointing news. Um, Mm. You have cancer and it looks like you have five years to live. Mm. Mm, mm, And um, I just, couldn't believe I'm receiving this diagnosis by myself in Mm. a little waiting room. And um, my boyfriend, now husband at the time, and I didn't tell anybody for two weeks because I was ashamed. I was Mm. in disbelief. Um, I was the healthy one in my family. Um, It it really, it, it was, I, I couldn't believe it. But even though mm-hmm. during those two weeks, I was going going to get my CAT scans and blood work and MRIs and everything that was needed to help take care of me, but it it really blew me blew me back because yeah. of like I said I was the healthy one in my family. Yeah. And so, so being uh, the healthy, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. No. So, I mean, and during that time, um, I was with a doctor who, mm-hmm. I, who I wasn't very comfortable with, and I like to urge people to always go to a doctor that you're comfortable with. I mm-hmm. did change doctors, and that's like one of my things that um, I strongly, you know, advocate to really have a good repertoire conversation with your doctor. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good advice. Um, and so you changed doctors. And so when did you finally, like, you know, come to terms with it and you told your family? Yes. So I told my family and they were all in shock as well. And yeah. my, my um, older sister immediately said, you have to go to Memorial Sloan Kettering. And that's where I, I had all of my paperwork transferred, all of my um, scans transferred. And I got with Dr. Wei, who is my surgeon, and Dr. Wan, who is my oncologist, with an all-almost female team. And mm-hmm. having an all-almost female team was, like, very good for me. It was very mm-hmm. comforting, and it made me actually feel even better talking about this subject because it is such a hard subject to talk about. Um, So they immediately put me on um, chemotherapy Mm -hmm. and um, I, my, my surgeon went in and she told me where my cancer was. And she said, what did the other doctor tell you? And I said, he didn't tell me anything. And her mouth hit the floor. Yeah. And she said, she said, you have stage three colorectal cancer. The tumor was right above my sigmoid colon. Mm-hmm. And I immediately said, I don't want a colostomy bag. 
Mm-hmm. I was like, went on the, one of my things, and I was just like, I don't want, I, I can't do it. I just can't do it. And she said, well, um, I really don't know. I can't make any promises now, but I think it might be high enough where you won't need one, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay. So I did four rounds of chemo, chemotherapy. I went back in to see if the tumor had shrunk any, if my tissue was getting clean or if anything was working. I went in and I had my scans done and the my oncologist and surgeon came in and they stared at me, their jaws dropped and they said, Jennifer, what are you doing? And I said, why? She's like, it's almost all healthy tissue. Wow. They they can't even really tell where the tumor is because there's a tattoo mark there. That's how they know where it is. Oh my. So I, along with my chemotherapy, I started doing a lot more meditation Mm-hmm. imagining like a white light coming over me, clearing yeah. my body, clearing my cells. I really had to take a hard look at my life. And I had so many stresses that I really didn't need to be stressing about. I just needed to yeah. cut things away. I had yeah. to cut people away. I had to cut yeah. things away. I really had to like clean up my space. Yeah. I also started. Say that doing, again. Wait a minute. Started, I hate to cut you off. I hate to cut you off. Say that again. You had to do what? I had clean to clean up my, my space. Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's okay. And I also uh, introduced more juicing into my diet and wheatgrass mm-hmm. shots. So that was very helpful. I, I just tried to like change things up. And, mm-hmm. and I thought, you know what? I'm not even going to have to have surgery. I'm going to do, you know, my two more rounds and then, you know, I'll be fine. I'll be the first person who doesn't have to have surgery and blah, blah, blah. I got a call. They said they want you to do four more rounds. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just started crying because it it really started taking its toll on me. Um, My, my hands and feet were discolored. Um, I had sensitive sensitivity to cold, um, even like the lightest wind in the summertime would hurt. I had to have uh. gloves by the refrigerator to pull things out of the refrigerator. Mm. Um, so there were, my, my toenails were falling off. It was just, you know, a lot of things were happening. So I just, I yeah. just cried. Yeah. And then I did, I did my four rounds. And then in December of 2018, I had my surgery and, um, I was in surgery for about five or six hours, and um, I was in the hospital for about three days, and then I was able to go home. And I got a call right after New Year, and my doctor said, um, we looked at all of the tissue that they cut out, and um, you're cancer-free. But I missed one important thing that I wanted to say. Mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. I went in, before I went into surgery, I met all the surgeons. They came over to my bed and they, you know, said, I'll be working with Dr. Way. And I said, Dr. Way and I had a deal that I'm not getting a colostomy bag. You know, talk to Dr. Way. She said that we didn't have, we're not getting a colostomy bag, right, you know. And right, right. So, so um, they, uh, I was laying in bed after the surgery, get a knock on the side of the bed. Jennifer, wake up. Your surgery's over. I look up, all the surgeons are in a U-shape around my bed, and I just looked up, and the one surgeon said, no bag. <laughs> <Went back>. Yay! <laughs> and I just laid yes. back out. I was out for another three hours. Yeah. But um, but I was so wow. happy to be deemed cancer-free, very blessed. Yes. Yes, so I'm glad that you shared. Thank you for sharing that part, um, you, you know, of your story with us, because when we talked um before, you know, um, it's important, you know, I just want you to reiterate how important it is for people to get checked, to get their colon checked. And it used to be the age of 50. So I think they changed it. They lowered the American Cancer Society lowers the age to 45 from 50 mm-hmm. because it is being colorectal cancer is being found in younger and younger adults. 
Wow. So they did lower the age, but it's also very important to have conversations with your family. I was mm-hmm. diagnosed at 50. My kids are going to have to go at 40. The okay. They should go between 35 and 40. So you have to learn your family history and yeah. know who in your family was diagnosed, if they were diagnosed, what kind of cancer. Um, and you just have to, like, be very um, – Got a staunch advocate for yourself to go to these screenings. Yeah. A lot of people are afraid of the preps. The preps oh, yeah. are nothing to be afraid of. It's it's more fearful to me to not go and yeah. and, and having something wrong. Right. Right, because you could prevent, you know, like a tragedy, actually. Um, the earlier you get it detected, the you know, sooner you can yes. start to, you know, work your way through it. So, wow. Well, girl, congratulations. It's treatable, beatable, yeah. and preventable. It can be prevented also if they can get the polyps. It, it's a, a colonoscopy can do wonders. And if they are, if someone is afraid, there are at-home tests. There is blood tests that they can do. But then again, mm-hmm. if there's a false positive, a colonoscopy is the surest way to know. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's good. You have really, like, just had a whole lot of life experiences. Let's <laughs> just leave it at that. So, you know, and it's, and again, the, you, you are like the perfect person to like bring on to talk about this because I always try to reiterate to everyone that everybody, even though we all have a story and our stories may, you know, may be a little different, but our, you know, or our experiences may be different, but there's some of the results can be the same. Like, you know, you just have to persevere through some things and you cannot, like, I can't say don't be afraid or don't have fear because fear is real. Like, fear is real. It's a real emotion. It's a real thing. But when you know, when you hear somebody say that fear is real, but you just have to push through, it's like, so I I use this analogy of, um, like, um, a a pilot, you know, airline pilot. And when you go in, you know, he hits a rough patch of turbulence. Mm -hmm. And they always say that. When, you, when the plane is shaking and it's shaking and you're going through that turbulence, that's like when we're going through life and we're going through a difficult situation and, you know, it's shaking and it's like, oh, my God, am I going to make it through? Am I going to make it through? And if you just stay on that path and you just push through, then now, you you know, the skies are blue, you see the, you see the beautiful right. clouds and, you know, smooth sailing, but sometimes you just got to hang in there. Um, right. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, and it also, you know what they say in that turbulence? Sit mm. down and put your seatbelt on. So sometimes yes. it's, it's, it's good to just sit down, yep. take a moment, and, you know, let yeah. ride the wave, ride, ride through that wave. turbulence, and then you'll get to that, that those blue skies and that yes. moment of, of silence where you can, you know, you have a clearer thought. Yes. Right? Yes. Right? And meditation helps with that. Like if you guys have not started, because I talk about that a lot, if you haven't started learning how to meditate, that gets you through a lot of things. <laughs> Absolutely. Learning and a how lot to of breathe. People, yeah. Right. Breathing is a great one. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of people think that they can't meditate because they have the what they call a monkey mind. Their mind, yeah. you know, shifts from what's for dinner to what's the, um, yeah. what do I what do I have to get at the grocery store. But there is this little technique that if you just take um, like your pointer finger and your thumb and you Mm -hmm. just like rub your fingers together and, you know, you can close your eyes and then you just kind of look to feel just the ridges of the Mm -hmm. skin. And if Mm -hmm. you just kind of like, you know, go slowly with your two fingers and you do that for like 10 10 seconds, that's also a form of meditation that also gets the brain like in that relaxed mode. So there are different techniques that instead of just sitting there cross-legged, you know, and trying to like think about what's for dinner, you can try different techniques. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we're, we're getting down to, you know, coming to the end. It's just, 
went by so fast. I really wanted you to just touch a little bit about your books that you're writing, your memoir, Becoming Spectacular. Um, just, just touch on that a little bit. Yes. So my children's book will be out first, the end of this year, called mm-hmm. On the Line, the story of mm-hmm. the first African-American Rockette. And that is just about me as a dancing as a child, um, following my, my dream of dancing, looking at the backstage door like we talked about, and then coming yeah. out of the stage door. And not only for me, but it's also for the parents, like we spoke about, to really look at what, your, what that spark is in your own child and how can you yeah. foster what that is, whether it's being a chef or working in IT and computers or yeah. being a football player, um, just really encouraging that child to grow. Yeah. Um, and Becoming Spectacular, which will be out in 2024, um, is about me growing up. Um, born and raised in Newark, Newark, New Jersey, um, and through um, my trials and tribulations as a child um, and wanting to dance, being in relationships that I shouldn't have been in, and mm-hmm. carrying weights of other people mm-hmm. that um, mm-hmm. the words that um, I shouldn't have. but. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it's for everyone to know that they're all on a special path. Yeah. They're all for, everybody has a story. Everybody has a silver lining. And everyone has a contribution for, for the world. Yes, absolutely. Well, I was going to ask you if there was anything that you wanted to leave with, um, with our listeners. Um, well, I should say now, is there anything else you want to leave with our listeners before I let you go? Well, I would like everyone to follow that that gut instinct that they have, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. whatever propels them to move them forward in the world, whatever gifts they have. I think that's very, very important that we sometimes just get silent, just sit, and just know that that they do matter. Everyone matters. And everyone has a gift. Absolutely, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm a staunch advocate of screenings. So if anyone is 45 or older and hasn't gotten screened for um, colon cancer, I am a big staunch advocate for everyone to get screened and to have conversations. And the Colorectal Cancer Alliance, they have a website. They have a plethora of information that they can go to and find out more information if they'd like. Awesome. Jennifer, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. I hope you will come back um, again and, um, you know, share some more because I just love talking to you. (laughs) Thank you. I had such a good time being here, and I love talking with you, and I'd love to come back. Yes, well, thank you so much. Good to see that. Y'all heard her. She said she'd love to come back, so we're going to hold you to that. (laughs) Thank you so much, Jennifer. You take care, and we'll be in touch soon. Okay, thank you, Lisa. Thank you. So she isn't she phenomenal? She is so just phenomenal. Um, but we're down to that part of the show where I want to leave you with this. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite poems that you've heard me share several times on my show, I felt that this poem fits what we've been sharing during this interview with Jennifer. It speaks to always be your fabulous self and give yourself grace. Our Deepest Fear by Mary Ann Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God, and your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest 
the glory of God that is within us. And it's not just in some of us. It's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. And as we're liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. So that concludes our show for this evening. I want to thank everyone for tuning in with us. A shout out to my family who are always loving and supporting me and also to my friends and colleagues and all of my social networking sites. Once again, a big thank you to Jennifer for taking the time to share a big part of your journey and your wisdom with us. We are eternally grateful to you. Also, don't forget to stop by my website, yourdestinyawaits.net, to get some extra motivation and inspiration and leave a message to let us know you stopped by. And like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash a date with destiny 101. Always remember, folks, that real power comes from knowledge because knowledge is power. And when we know better, we do better. So your mission, if you choose to accept it, is take the necessary time to do a true self-evaluation. Seek God and learn how to love yourself first. Because after all, you owe it to yourself to know yourself. Once again, I'm Lisa M. Saunders, and thank you for tuning in to Blog Talk Radio's A Date with Destiny. Peace and abundant blessings, everyone. And the magic that surrounds you